Well, as we have made it our practice, let's go ahead and let's, uh, let's repeat Hebrews 10, 23, and 24 a few times together this morning, shall we? We'll do it first with all the words there, and then we'll start taking a few away in the hopes that it'll help us to, to fill in the blanks and then keep them, and our minds won't go blank when we think about it. So say this with me together this morning. Hebrews 10... 23 and 24. Let us hold fast the, co- the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Sorry about that. I'll try not to trip over my own teeth this time. Uh, let's say this again together, shall we? Hebrews 10, 23 and 24. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. All right. One more time. We're taking all the big words away. Let's see how we do this together, shall we? Hebrews 10, 23-24. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. All right. Amen. Good job. Good job. It's a, it's a tough one to say, I think, sometimes. I don't know about you, but... I early on found myself wanting to say, let us hold fast to thee, as in, you know, we pledge allegiance to thee, but it's not to thee, it's let us hold fast thee. And then the other problem I had was, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. But you kind of want to say faith, don't you? Let's hold fast the confession of our faith, because you have confessions of faith. And in fact, the King James Version has faith in there. And there was only one old manuscript that had the word faith. Everything else has hope. But you can understand why somebody who was translating this or copying it down and, and moving it over would have said faith instead of hope. But it is the confession of our hope that we are to hold fast to. And this this verse, these two verses, if you notice the last, uh, Hebrews 24, actually, uh, 1024, it ends with a comma. And just so you know, I originally was thinking about adding 25 into there. That would have doubled the, the size of this. And I also found that 25 kind of fits in. It, it's, the ideas of 25 are already in 24, So as we'll see as we go through. But what we're looking at in this is a section about Jesus being our high priest and how he he has ministered to us like the high priests of Israel used to do. And as they would offer sacrifices for the sins of the people, Jesus offered a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But the difference is they had to continue doing it. And even when this book was written, they were still offering sacrifices. But Jesus offered a sacrifice once. And sat down because he has been able to forgive us of our sins. As the writer of Hebrews says in verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. 
And because Jesus has, has offered Himself for the forgiveness of our sins, and because if we believe in Him, we have forgiveness of our sins, there is no longer a need for any more sin offerings. It's over. It's done with. And because of that, we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Christ. And it's within that context that we need to uh, draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith that we get to this verse. In verse 23 where he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And as I think about this, 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 this and, and, and as you saw just a second ago, the, the title of this sermon is Faithful because we're focusing on God's faithfulness, but also the encouragement, the, uh, the cry to us that we should hold fast. Well, that's, that's calling us to be faithful too. That we would be faithful to the confession of hope. A, a confession is something that we all say together. It's, it's to, to agree in what you say. And as a church, we confess hope in Jesus Christ. Hope in God's salvation for us. And, and what he's saying here is, let us hold fast without wavering. And, and here's the thing, how can you hold something you don't have? How can you even hold fast? You know, we're not even, I mean, regardless of the without wavering or even the hold fast, how can you hold it if you don't have it? And, and so as we talk about let us hold fast the confession of our hope, the, the first question we need to know is, is do you even have the hope? Do you even have confession of hope? Do you have hope in God? And it's based on, if you see there in verse 23, for he who promised is faithful. And that's what, the conf that's what the hope is based on, is God being faithful. But what is he being faithful about? About what he has promised. What he has promised. Now the word promise there, it's the idea, it means to proclaim. If I promise something, for instance, if I say, oh, we'll go get ice cream you know, after church today, and I'm not making this as an illustration, I'm not making any promises. But if I say that, I am proclaiming something, and then later on, I have to make what I said true. I fulfill it. That's how you fulfill a promise. You've, you've proclaimed it, and then you make it happen. You make it so. God has promised, He has proclaimed, He has said, I will do certain things. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that He who promised is faithful. That He will fulfill those things that He has promised. The question for us is, and, and the thing we need to settle, first, we need to believe God's promise. We need to believe that His promises are true. We have to say, God said it, so I'm going to live based on it. Because here's the thing. Uh, we have faith 
that Jesus Christ died and rose again, that because of that we have forgiveness of our sins. But which one of us has stood in front of the, the, the throne of judgment and been told, your name is in the book of life? Which one of us has seen the lake of fire opened up and not been tossed into it? None of us. That is all in the future. Uh, we, have, we have little tastes of the promise. We have the Holy Spirit within us. But first, we have to believe, even before you get the, the Holy Spirit in you and you experience God's guidance and you, you have that assurance from Him, we have to believe. And the thing about belief is, is that it's not proven yet. It is still coming someday. We have to believe God's promises. To have that hope that we're going to hold fast, to have hope in Him, we first have to believe. And so the question for us today is, is, do you believe what God has promised? Do you believe that Jesus Christ came to the earth, that he lived a perfect, sinless life, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was dead for three days in the tomb, and then on a Sunday morning he rose again? Do you believe that he rose again? Do you believe that 40 days later he went back to his father? We don't see him today because he has gone back to his father. Do we believe these things? Do we believe that he is coming back again someday? Do we believe that our lives and the decisions we make here on earth actually matter on a spiritual realm and in an eternal, with eternal weight? Do we believe that? Because if we don't believe that, our hope doesn't go very far. Because our hope is in Christ, and as we see in Romans uh, 8, verse 24, we looked at this at Thanksgiving, uh, hope that is seen is not hope. For a person doesn't hope for what he already sees. Remember that? That was, that was what we focused on on Thanksgiving, that, that if, we, if we have the thing we're hoping for, we're no longer hoping for. So to have a confession of hope, as we see here in verse 23, to, to hold fast the confession of hope without wavering. That hope means that whatever we're hoping for, it's in the future. Okay? If it comes to us, it's no longer hope. If you had a hope, and you know, a lot of kids graduated this week, right? Uh, we had graduations this weekend and, and throughout the week, and Azel graduates, uh, they had hope that that day would come. There might be a few that are still hoping they graduate. They got to walk, but they haven't got the diploma, right? They're still hoping. But most of them, they're no longer hoping. They're not hoping that they graduate. They, knew they, they know they graduated. They're just waiting for the diploma to show up in the mail. They know it's a done deal. Now they're focused on the next thing, whether it's a job or whether it's going to college. Now they have new hopes. But the hope of graduating, it's done, right? It's, it's over. That hope that you hold on to, it's gone. And, and so to, for, for the writer of Hebrews to tell us to let us hold fast the confession of our hope, the difficulty, the reason why you have to hold fast, and that word hold fast means to lay hold of, to, to, to hold tight, and, and without wavering, 
To waver means to lay down. It's kind of the idea of if you ever see, you know, plants that in the wind, they just get laid down. They waver. They give up. Right? That's what it means to, 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 to without wavering means to be unbending, to be firm. But what does it tell you about the life that we're living and the hope we have to have and the, the promises that God has made to us that we, we trust Him to be faithful? That the writer of Hebrews tells us, let us hold fast. You know, I, I think of in, uh, there was a movie I loved back in 2003 called Master and Commander. Russell Crowe played a, a naval captain and they go into a, there, there's a battle and one of, the, one of the kids sees one of the sailors and the sailor has tattooed on his knuckles, hold fast. And the, the sailor is looking at the little kid who's, you know, w- one of the midshipmen and, and it's like, you better hold fast, kiddo, because it's about to get rough. You know, we're, we're in for a storm. That is the Christian life. We are in for a storm. We are in for difficult times. And we need to hold fast. Because the promises are not here. Uh, we, we have to trust that God is faithful in what He has promised because the fulfillment of God's promises are in the future. The fulfillment of God's promises is still to come. We, we have certain parts of the promise today but kind of like those graduates that are waiting for their, their diploma to come in the mail. The fulfillment of the promise is in the future. And none of us really know that this way of life, following Jesus Christ, is going to pay off until you take your last breath and you pass on through the veil to eternity. And then we're going to find out. We have hope, we have faith, we trust, but we don't really know just yet. And like many people, we can, uh, we can get tired of waiting. We can worry about it. In fact, the, as I've thought about this, the, uh, the Christian life really is not about victory today. And I think one of the things that we sell as a church in America is you can have a great life and you can have a great family and you can have victory today in Jesus Christ and you can live the perfect life just by believing in Him, just walking with Him. You know, we want to sell something to the the world around us to, to tell them why they should believe in Jesus. But what you see constantly through Scripture is Paul saying, you know, I consider these present troubles as very small compared to the glory that's ahead of us. His idea was, is this life is going to be tough. This life is going to be full of trials. But it's so short, it's so small compared to eternity. And and the author of Hebrews says the same thing. And, uh, you know, right, this is building up to chapter 11, the great uh, hall of faith, as we say. You know, and and you've got Abraham, you've got Enoch, you've got... um, I'm going to get names wrong. I want to say the right one. Abel. You've got Noah. And and throughout chapter 11 in verse 13, we're told all these died in faith without receiving the promises. See, Abraham was promised by God, you'll have more descendants than there are stars in the sky. You'll have more descendants than the sand. 
Abraham died with less than a handful. Abraham died without seeing that promise come to fruition. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They held on to the confession of hope that they had. Later on, and through, uh, as the writer of Hebrews continues to write about all the different people of faith, Moses, David, uh, prophets, he said, all these, in verse 39 of chapter 11, all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Now, the, the writer of Hebrews understands and the way he's writing about it is like, look, they didn't receive the promise, but we did. We've received the promise through Jesus Christ. We've received the promise because he died and rose again and we're on the other side of that. But you know what? We still walk and live in such a way that we have not yet received the promise. And I think the whole idea of the Christian life is built on not receiving the promise yet. Because what is faith? And trust me, at some point this year, we're going to get to Hebrews 11.1. 1. You know I want to memorize that one again. What is faith? It's the assurance of things hoped for, right? We talk about being in a life of faith. Well, those things that are hoped for are those things that are unseen, that we haven't received yet. It's one thing to believe in somebody who gives you what you want. It's another thing entirely to believe in somebody who is promised but doesn't give it. And yet, you still believe. You still trust. You still hope. Very similar to, uh, I know it's not the right time of the year, but Miracle on 34th Street, the little girl, Susan, she wants a house. And Santa Claus tells her, Chris Kringle, he tells her at the at the nursing home, I'm sorry, it was just too much to do. And her mom says, you still got to believe in him. And she, you know, she's saying the little sing-song words in the car, I believe, I believe, it's stupid, but I believe, until she sees the house, right? She goes running in, she says, this is it. I knew it. We are sometimes like the person in that car, we're having to force ourselves sometimes, encourage ourselves to believe because we don't get it just yet. It is put off. It's in the future because God wants us to trust Him. He wants us to believe in Him. That's why He takes the Israelites to the, to the shore of the Red Sea and then waits for the Egyptians to show up so that they're sitting there thinking, Egyptians there, water there, we're toast. And he lets them experience it. He could have taken them through the Red Sea the night before. But he waits. He waits. He wants them to see his glory. He wants us to see his glory. It doesn't happen immediately, though. We've got to wait. We have to trust. We have to believe that he is faithful. That he is faithful. And so we have to hold fast that confession of hope. We have to hold fast because it's, it's still to come. The, the fulfillment of those promises are still to come. 
And so if you ever sit there wondering, well, God, why haven't you done this? I need this. You haven't done it yet. That's a place where we're called to continue to hold fast the confession of our hope in Him. To continue to say, I believe. I believe. It's foolish, but I believe. The world tells me it's foolish. God tells me it's wise. I believe. How do we hold on like this? I think this is why it's so important to have verse 24 in there with it. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. As we hold fast to the confession of our hope, because He who has promised is faithful, let us consider, let us uh, think really hard is what it means there to consider. Let us uh, discern. Let us think about and discern and figure out how we can stimulate one another to love to, to, to loving other people and to good deeds, to doing good things, the good works that God would be blessed by us doing. But this word stimulate, you could translate it just as easily. How can we provoke one another? Now provoke, we use provoke. Provoke's kind of a negative word, right? You don't like to be provoked to good things. You, but, but it's truly, it's the idea of being poked to action. Right? It, it, this word stimulated, uh, to stimulate, it was used in this, in, 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 uh, to describe in Acts to describe the disagreement between Barnabas and Paul that led them to split into two missionary journeys. Right? That disagreement, they were poking each other and, and, and striving with one another so hard that they finally had to split apart. But it's also used when Paul is in Athens and he sees all the idols of all these different gods in Athens. And it says that it was provoking his spirit within him. He was seeing all these things and he just couldn't keep from speaking about it. And that's the idea. How can we, how can we encourage one another? How can we poke one another? How can we stimulate one another to love and good deeds? And, and if you recall, I, I had said earlier that we could have added verse 25 to this. And, and because verse 25 says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not forsaking our assembling together. I don't know how we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. I don't know how we can provoke one another to love and good deeds if we're not together. Not just on a Sunday morning, but in life. If we don't have brothers and sisters in the church around us and we don't encourage one another to love and good deeds, to, to provoke one another, to stimulate one another, if we don't sit around thinking to ourselves, how can we do a better job encouraging one another in the life of faith? How can we do that if we're not together? This is why it's so important for a, a body of believers to come together, to not, as is the habit of some, forsaking their own assembling together. Because what happens when we're not together? Well, I'm, I'm no longer provoked. I'm no longer stimulated. I've seen this with people who, who feel like they don't need uh, to go to church. And what happens to them is they start getting some strange ideas. And we're all susceptible to strange ideas. 
what happens though is if you're in a group of people and you say a strange idea, a bunch of people will look at you and say, that was a strange idea. And maybe that strange idea is right and it's just new to us and we'll all have to chew on it for a while and say, you know, that was a strange idea, but that seems to be the truth. Or people say, that's a really strange idea and that sounds dangerous and I, I don't think you should think that way. And you say, oh, I, I, I guess I'll give that idea up. And you realize you opened your mouth and proved yourself to be a fool, but hey, you've got people around you to help you that stimulate you to love and good deeds, who encourage you and provoke you. And that's why he says, uh, but encouraging one another, that we should be encouraging one another in our walk. And, and especially as the day, as we see the day drawing near, the idea there being is, uh, you know, the, the end of, of, of life and the end of the world when Christ will come back, but more so even as the journey lengthens, as things get tougher, as we get into the really nitty-gritty time where faith is put up or shut up, we have to encourage one another because we're not going to get there on our own. If I stop hanging out with other believers, I'm going to start going cold. And I might have this idea that, oh, I'm, I'm okay, I'm with God, but no. No, we, we need to... We need to consider, as verse 24 there says, we need to consider how to stimulate one another. And, and, and here's the thing. Um, you know, we have a lot of consumerism in our attitudes. I, we all have it. We can't help it. You know, we have an attitude, an idea of, well, what am I getting out of this? Right? And, and I, I think that a lot of times. There, there are times we'll put stuff on, we'll do things as a church, and I'll think to myself, is anyone getting anything out of this? Because if nobody's getting anything out of this, why are we bothering to do it? Right? So, so consumerism is just a part of the way we process things. Are I, am I getting anything out of this? Am I getting what I want? But being the church isn't about what I get or what I want. It's about what I give. It's about the fact that I'm an encourager to other people. It's, it's about the fact that I show up and I miss somebody and I say, hey, where were you? And I encourage them to stay with it. it it's kind of, the, in my mind, it's, it's like if we were all on a, a, a major hike or if you were trying to run a marathon, at some point you need people to say, you can keep going. Come on, come on. We can do this together. We need people around us that will encourage us and we need to be around other people and encourage them. Sometimes when you're having the hardest time and you feel like you're going to drop, the thing that can keep you going is encouraging the person next to you. You get your, your mind off your own pain and you get it onto their pain. You start encouraging them. You can keep going, buddy. Come on. We can do this together. We need that together. And, and the consumer attitude that so many have in this world of, well, what are you providing me? What programs are there? Now it becomes, what am I getting and very little thought on what am I giving. And we're not, just we're not talking about money right there. We're talking about you know, giving to the body. But then you know, there's a little bit where people say, well, you know, I can get this stuff elsewhere. Hey, I can worship God in nature. I can worship God down at the lake in the summer. I don't need to go to church. I'll worship God in the woods. And now all of a sudden, the body of Christ, the believers that we should join together, have been replaced and are interchangeable with other activities. And we say, no, I get spiritual stuff from these other things. 
We, we can't provoke one another. We can't stimulate one another to love and good deeds if, if that's our attitude. I'm, uh, it's what do I get out of this? Where can I go to get the same thing? And it's a rough life, and after a while, and, and you know, we see this in the parable of the, 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 the sower with the seeds and the different kind of ground. You know, the, some, of the, some of the seed gets into rocky soil and it sprouts up quick, but when things get tough, well, it withers and dies because it didn't have deep roots. And we see people like this. They might get excited. They might come to church for a while. They might join an organization or activities here or there. But this isn't, this isn't a sprint. The Christian life isn't over in a year for most people. It's a, it's a long haul. And as it goes longer, it gets tougher. And it's not so much about those that fall away in the first year. The difficulty is those that might fall away in the 20th or 30th year of trying to walk with Christ. What happened? You know, we have to uh, encourage one another. We need to encourage one another along the way. Because it's a long walk. We need to stimulate one another. How do we help one another grow in Christ? And this is the whole reason why I decided to start doing this scripture memorization thing this year. I was struggling with this idea of how do we disciple better? What can we do as a body maybe to, you know, to tangibly grow in the Lord in a year? And I wanted to try this, see if it worked. Because that should be our question in our minds. What are we doing? How can we stimulate one another, provoke one another? encourage one another? How can we help one another grow in God's love? How can we help one another do good deeds? And we're not talking about, you know, for salvation. We mean because we're believers in Christ. How can we live and do the works that are honoring to God? How can we do that? We need to encourage one another on the way and not forsake gathering together, not give it up. As some people make it the habit, we need to make it a habit to be together, to worship, to encourage one another, to walk with each other. That's what he's saying. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This whole passage, as, as we look at, at, at struggle, you know, we had 1 Corinthians 10.13, with no, no temptation has overtaken you. You know, we're dealing with a struggle against temptation in our lives. And then last week we looked at the powers that we were forcing, or facing, the forces that we are up against, spiritual forces, forces of power and positions. And it can wear you down, that fight. Now we're looking at, let us hold fast. We're told, he who promised is faithful. And, and the Remember, my first question was, do you, do you actually believe that? Do you believe in his promises? Do you hold on to his promises? Because if we don't, we have no confession of hope. But this whole verse, what, this whole passage, excuse me, both of these verses, what they're talking about is faithfulness. You know, what else does it mean to hold fast to something but to be faithful to it without wavering? Not bending, not, not being on and off again sometimes, but no, firmly holding on to that hope in Christ. And finally, 
let us consider how to stimulate one another. This means being faithful to one another. And, and that's what this passage is about. First, holding on to our hope in Christ, being faithful to God. But then, how do we stimulate one another? How do we encourage one another to be faithful to one another? That, that's my final encouragement to us, is that we would be faithful to God and one another. We need, to, we need to be able to encourage one another along the way, and in the end, be faithful to God and one another. That we hold on to our hope in Him, but also that we keep, I hate to say it like, keep showing up for one another, but there's truth in that. You know, I, I forget who the real person is, the first one that said it, but, you know, a big part of life is just showing up, right? Showing up for one another. How do we encourage one another? How do we help one another and stimulate one another to love and good deeds? Because, because here's the thing, God is faithful. He is. The one who is promised, he who promised, is faithful. And what does he call us to be? He calls us to be faithful too. And as we go through the struggle, that's the time. That's the time when it's so easy to not be faithful, when things get tough. That's the time when we start doubting and questioning. When I was in high school, I read a book about a guy named Carlos Hathcock. He was a Marine Corps sniper in Vietnam. Prior to the scout snipers even being designed, he, he kind of created... In, in Vietnam, all the things that they teach guys today. And one of the things he did, one of the, he, he used to wear a little white feather in his cap, which is kind of a stupid thing to do if you're a sniper. Uh, but he did. And one time he took that feather out of his cap. He was given an assignment to uh, kill a general deep in enemy territory. And he went by himself without a... a, a, a a uh, spotter, and for two days he crawled through elephant grass, I think is what it's called, to get into a position where he could get a shot at this general. There were sentries that actually walked over him and around him, and one time a poisonous snake actually went right in front of him. But he was moving so slowly that because he, he didn't want to disrupt the grass, that they never saw him. It would take him a half an hour to drag his canteen up to him, unscrew the lid, pour a little bit of water into that lid, drink that little bit of water, put the lid back on, put it down, and keep crawling. And he said that about halfway through this operation, that was when he starts thinking of new ways to do the operation, right? Because it's getting tough now. And he's hot, and he's hungry, and he's delirious. And he's thinking, no, I made a plan back when I was at base. And I was well-rested. I was full. I was hydrated. I made a good plan back then. I need to stick with it. And so he was faithful to it. And even when it got tough, that was when he had to be all the more faithful to his plan. And he succeeded. The same is true for us. 
it, it's, it's easy when things are easy, right, to be faithful. But when it gets hard, that's when we have to strive and hold fast all the more. And so that's why the writer of Hebrews tells us, hold fast. Especially in the verse 25 that we are, are not memorizing, but you can always add it if you want to. Especially as you see the day drawing near. We have to hold on all the more. Be faithful to God. Trust in His faithfulness. And as things have gotten harder for us, more and more we need to be faithful to one another as well. So let's, let's say this one more time. Maybe it'll mean something a little bit more than it did when we first began. Hebrews 10, 23 and 24. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You that You are faithful. We trust You and believe in Your promises. Our hope is in Christ. There are times, Lord, when we are tempted to give up on that hope. To say, oh, that was foolishness, that confession. Lord, even as, as it gets difficult, even as the road gets weary, help us to be faithful. Help us to hold fast to the confession that we have agreed on about Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that You would help us, that our minds would be set to thinking about how we might encourage one another in our faith, to, 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 to acts of love and good deeds. Lord, how we might stimulate one another to be Your body here and, and Your witnesses here in Eagle Mountain. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't just be focused on what can I get, but that we remember that we were, we're here to give too. Lord, we pray for those who have not held fast. For those that maybe we weren't there to encourage them that we didn't stimulate them. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We pray, Lord, for the opportunity to, to make amends, to make it right. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to encourage one another in our faith, that we might keep going, no matter how hard it gets, till that day when faith becomes sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.